You're listening to Money Talks coming up. I'm just scrambling around here. Lots of uh, people to get to. Going to get Ozzy Jurek on the line with me any moment now, uh, talking about uh, what's going on in the hot property market. Ozzy, of course, is busy with his conference coming up, so that's why I'm going to track him down right now. Uh, to get him on the line with me. Victor Dare is away this week, but I'm starting a new series, and it's called Mike's Big Fat Idea. I'm going to get help from professionals all over North America to discuss, hey, what's a great idea that they could be, uh, you could be putting on your radar screen? Obviously, nobody knows what your individual circumstances are, but, uh, you know, what, you know, just an idea that you can put on your radar you can be watching the markets you can go from there so uh, that's coming up also is mike's big fat idea i'm tracking down greg weldon right now so far no luck but we will get greg otherwise i'll go to his house and he'll be in real trouble Uh, and as i say we've got a shocking stat which i think i'm going to give you right now our shocking stat of the week this is an interesting one you're always wondering about how well money is spent. Well, I saw this one this week and it absolutely blew me away. I'm talking about uh, General Lloyd Austin, who is the head of the U.S. Central Command, Under Secretary of Defense for Policy. Well, he was giving an update on the Pentagon's efforts to train and arm Syrian fighters and conceded that it was highly unlikely that the Department of Defense would hit its target. And they were trying to get a contingent of about 5,000 fighters, Syrian-trained fighters, or Syrian fighters, rather, trained by the Department of Defense by the end of the year. Sorry, I didn't set that up as well, but you got the idea there. Well, Foreign Policy Magazine, this is where I got it, found the real number, okay? So they have paid $41 million, U.S. dollars, to train Syrian fighters. No, they're not going to hit their target of 5,000 by the end of the year. But as Foreign Policy Magazine says, I don't think anybody would have guessed the real number. Are you ready? For $41 million, they got four or five. That's right. One, two, three, four or five Syrian five. I mean, I shouldn't be laughing, but can you believe this? That's how much taxpayer money was spent to train and arm this anti-ISIS force, about 41 million U.S. dollars. I love the summation. It says, let's not kid ourselves. That's a joke. This is a total failure. So there you have it. As I say, ah, that's my shocking stat of the week. I've got Ozzy Jura cutting on the line. Also, my big fat idea. And just a reminder, by the way, it's something that we're doing. A lot of people uh, through this show have followed the record of Martin Armstrong. Well, uh, as I said, Marty's, uh, if there's one guy I'm consulting, it would be Marty Armstrong on what's going on in the world today. His big date is coming up. It's September 30th. He's the one who, and this is literally going back, I'm thinking 1998 is the first time I can remember Marty talking to me about the date in 2015. That's where it started to lead me, certainly completely uh, lead me, in the direction that the next leg of the sovereign debt crisis, which I've been talking about for a couple of years, was going to hit at that time. Then you see things coming together. Like, for example, this past week, Japan had its debt downgraded. France had its debt downgraded. Last week, Brazil had its debt downgraded. And uh, earlier on in August, you had the European Union union's debt downgraded this is all building up to september 30th which is also the date that the agreement between the democrats and the republicans on the budget 
also runs out. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens there because there's lots of talk that there are some Republicans who absolutely are not going to go along with any funding for Planned Parenthood. So that's the group, by the way, if you don't, it's a huge saga in the States who was found on video to be discussing literally keeping a fetus alive so they could harvest the brain, their body parts. And of course, you can appreciate in some, uh, you know, that was just a horrendous reaction to that. So you've got some people saying we absolutely should not be funding this group. That'll be the September 30th date. But I think it's just fascinating that we come to that. But that brings me to Marty Armstrong. Starting on Monday, there was a documentary done about Marty Armstrong called The Forecaster. And I've been asked many, many times, you know, exactly how can I view this? Well, you can get it in video on demand. But here's the thing. I want you to wait till Monday. We are going to put up uh, a code that you can use. You can, we'll tell you where to go. Go to the site and a code. You'll watch it on your computer and it'll give you 50% off the ticket price. Normally it's about $50. This will be about $24.95. That is only for Money Talks listeners at this point. So we'll put up a code at the end of uh, well, we'll do it this weekend. You'll be able to access it at moneytalks.net on Monday. And presto, you'll get to see the forecaster, the movie. It's a fascinating movie done with Marty's consent, but he had no uh, editorial input to it whatsoever. But it tells a fascinating story. This thing has been selling out throughout Europe. Uh, just recent showings uh, in Paris, I know, in Berlin uh, on September 30th. And I'll put more details on the site about that. Uh, Marty's going to do a live Q&A over the internet. Uh, so there's lots coming that way. And I just wanted to give you a quick heads up that we're going to be beginning that on Monday. But it's your chance, as I say, to get the big discount there uh, to view it. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to come back. I am getting Ozzy Jurek on the line with me. He's ready to go. So much to talk about in the real estate market. But the thing I love, of course, is his hot properties. He'll do that with us in just a couple of minutes' time across the Chorus Radio Network. got my big fat idea. Neil McIver is going to be with me for that one. I've got a goofy award for you. Maybe the best case of sort of collective political suicide by electing someone I've seen in a long, well, it's a long time. That's easy to say, but I can't even think of uh, something that, uh, well, may have worked out worse. I'll talk about that as I say my goofy award. Right now, though, very pleased to have with me Ozzy Jurek on the line. A couple things I want to get to with Ozzy. Uh, Ozzy, let me just start with credit problems. Uh, because, you know, this is something that obviously you need a good credit score, that kind of stuff. We hear about those things, and it obviously impacts also if you're looking to borrow some money to buy a home. Oh, it's absolutely crucial. In fact, not just a home, a car, telephone, anything, uh, every, the companies always want a credit report. And every Canadian has a credit file. More than 21 million of us have credit reports. And I tell you, Mike, most of us have no idea what's in them. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I remember getting a call once and saying uh, I had a bad credit rating because of all the parking tickets I had in Edmonton. I said, well, I don't drive when I'm in Edmonton, you know, so chances are it wasn't me and it wasn't me. But this was my credit score. You know, exactly. So. You know, yeah, it's a, no, they're absolutely not always correct. I mean, we have two national credit bureaus. There's Equifax and TransUnion. 
they're literally uh, owned by the banks, because the banks want to know what kind of people we are before they give us any money. But you have to check your report. Like you said, there might be a lot of mistakes, some horror stories. I was actually listed as working at the Hotel Vancouver. I haven't, listed in hotel, haven't worked in a Hotel Vancouver for 40 years. You know? But, I mean, it's up to us to check it, and you can, you can do so, and we should do so. Okay, well, how do you do that? Well, if you, you go actually to the credit report site at Equifax or TransUnion, and they, they sort of rate you uh, on, a, on a system. There's sort of a, a letter and a number system. And so if you have a revolving credit, it's an R, and an I is sort of stands for installment credit. Now, if you have an R9, that means you're really a deadbeat duck. You know, you, you haven't made a single payment and your TVs have been repossessed. Whereas an R1 is sort of a real great rating. So that's, that's on a rating score. But the, the Beacon score or FICO score, that's sort of the mathematical formula that they translate into the credit report from the data. And they give you a three-digit number which ranges from 300 to 900. And that's the one they use for your mortgage. And so if you're between 750 and 799, which is about 27% of the population, you will get approved immediately. The bank will kiss you on both cheeks and say, hey, we want you because statistically only 2% of you will ever default on a loan. Okay, well, let me just... Yeah, go ahead. Let me just back up for a sec. Okay, so just an action kind of step thing. So you can go to the credit, uh, the you know, on the Internet. You could go to, uh, what are the two ones that you were mentioning? Yeah, it's TransUnion and Equifax. Okay, so you go to those two. Uh, yeah. You look up your credit score. If you see something's wrong, you know, as I say, you, you were working at a, a place you hadn't been in 40 years. I was living in a city I don't live in. You know, what do you do at that point? Well, I mean, I want to make it clear, though. Most of them, they are correct, but you want to find out what your number is, and you also want to learn the tricks of the trade to make sure that that number is as high as possible. But you just simply write them. You know, they, they, they hide on the website a little bit that you can get it for free, but they will, in fact, by law, must send it to you for free, but it's by mail. So if you want it right away, you have to pay money for it. But they look at your payment history. Have you always made your payments on time? Actually, it's very important to make a payment on time, not, to, not even so much as paying it all off. They like you to keep owing the money because they want to receive the payment and the interest, but pay it on time. And also, if you have balances over 50% on your credit line, keep them below 30% and it'll be a, be a higher rating. And your, your history in, in general, you know, if before you open a new credit card, don't close the old one because you have a history there. And they also look at the history. All these factors are actually mm-hmm. described on, on their website. And uh, But since it's free, everybody should just take a few minutes, fill out the form. You have to make sure that, that they understand that you are who you are. But then you get it mailed and check out whatever is in there. Because the record is there for, for six or seven years if there's something bad in there or you had a, was a bad check or a late payment and you actually didn't have that late payment, you should get it removed. Oh, so you're suggesting that's a better approach than mine was just to threaten them. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> well, but then, then it's the Mike Campbell threatening them. I'm sure they caved right away. There you go. <laughs> Ozzy, let me just, uh, this is a completely different subject now, but while I've got you, because you're very busy right now, uh, you've got your Outlook conference. There's uh, so much to talk about, obviously. I mean, the Federal Reserve had everybody on tender hooks this past week. Uh, you know, what's the impact going to be? Of course, they, st- they stood pat. They did nothing. But, uh, you're, uh, you know, you're hearing uh, dozens of speakers right now, and I want to come back to that for our audience. But uh, just bottom line, I wanted to talk about one category, and I don't know if you're doing it at your Outlook. And that's because I know somebody who's doing very well 
owning a trailer park. Yeah, it's it's really a hot thing going on right now. And in fact, you and I talked about it years ago, where yeah. I always felt that buy a trailer park, add a few pads, and add value. But the big boys are now into it. Like giant Canadian apartment property REIT has bought a dozen mobile homes across Canada. And BC's public pension fund, the BC Investment Management Board, bought the biggest modular park portfolio in the country for $790 million a, a few years ago. So... What they're looking for, of course, is the more modern, high-end, 100-pad uh, parks that are out there. But 6 to 8% is not uncommon in small-town trailer parks. So even for the smaller investor, it might be interesting. Yeah, I, I just find it it's a, it's a fascinating opportunity uh, on that one. Uh, yeah, and again, what kind of cash flow, what kind of very quick considerations? Because, uh, as I say, this is, a, you know, what the Federal Reserve just reconfirmed for us, Ozzy, is everybody's looking for yield at this point. You know, so they're looking for other things, whether, as you just said, major pension funds, it could be other pools of capital and individuals. So that's why I found that was interesting. I mean, you've told us about buying storage lockers before, and that's turned out very well. Obviously, more traditional you know, uh, if you're finding the right place to rent out as a residential. Uh, but trailers are something I don't think many people think about. Well, first of all, there's hardly any turnover. You know, people like to live in them uh, once they have the trailer and they stay put. Now, depending on where you are, but the, the expert is uh, Eugene Klein uh, from Royal City Realty. And, and I was talking to him and he says, you know, Fraser, in the Okanagan Valley, everybody wants to be there. But there the cap rates are around the 5% range. But if you go to Vancouver Island, it's 6-plus. In a northern BC, it can be 8%. And for sale right now, there's a 50-pad park for 2.5 million, 21-pad park in Barrier for 1.5 million, 62 pads in Williams Lake for 2, and a 100-pad park near Victoria for just under 10 million. So there are some on the marketplace, but the prices are bigger than they were a few years ago. But they do create steady, predictable cash flow, and that's what you said we are all looking for. Yeah, it's as I say, it's a fascinating world out there uh, in that all, all they do is reconfirm that we are going to have to search for yield. Uh, you know, as I said to Michael Levy earlier, what you've got is now the new contest starts up that we're going to get there. Uh, so it, it, we're going to I mean, the new thing comes along. What's going to happen in December? That kind of thing. So obviously just a ton of stuff to do in that way. Uh, Ozzy, uh, let me just very quickly finish off with, you're at the uh, Outlook Conference right now. What is it, 16 speakers? Yeah, we know we have 12 speakers, but nine from Canada and three okay. from the U.S., and we're going to cover anything and everything to do with real estate. There won't be a question left unanswered. It's all day uh, next Saturday, and it's our 23rd year of doing it. So we have, we have already over 500 tickets sold, and we have only a few left. Well, just go to juroc.com, juroc.com. Uh, you know, immediately for that, or 684, is it 683-1111? Sure, 683-1111 will work. Okay, let's finish with some hot properties. We're looking at Edmonton today, and we found a great uh, one-bedroom condo right beside the McEwen University. It's only on at 79800 rents for 850 We also have a basement suite in Edmonton, brand-new renovations, top-to-bottom legal suite, uh, 459000 will rent for 3500 So I think these are great deals in Edmonton this month. Man, you're this spitting week. those out so fast. I'm trying to take notes here. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, you'll have tons of those uh, next week at your uh, Insider Outlook conference. Ozzy, thank you for taking the time, as usual. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. And always remember, you can go to jurek.com for tickets to attend that. Uh, 
as I say, nine speakers, also three from the U.S., so uh, that's obviously worth doing. Hey, by the way, uh, Greg Weldon, we do have him. He's on deck in just a couple of minutes with us. I'll get him. I also get to my big fat idea before we're done today, so much more coming your way. Uh, just very quickly, though, just a reminder to go to moneytalks.net. I mentioned earlier that I'll put on the special codes for the forecaster, the Martin Armstrong doc or documentary about Martin Armstrong. I found it absolutely fascinating there. Uh, it reads like a spy novel because it probably was a spy novel. Uh, wait till you hear what this guy's story is. Uh, the story that we know on this show is how accurate and how incredibly prescient his predictions and forecasts of his model have been. Well, this gives some of the background to that. That big date coming up is September 30th, so we will certainly be on top of that one. But the other reason to go uh, moneytalks.net, as I say, anything that we do, whether it's with Greg, uh, Greg Weldon coming up or Ozzy Jurek, as I say, he just uh, rambles off those quick, hot properties. You can go back and you can re-listen at any time to Money Talks by going to moneytalks.net. Plus, you get the midweek Money Talks interview, uh, where I get interviewed in the top stories of the week. I enjoy it with Linda Steele. You know her in Edmonton. You know her now much more in Vancouver. Also, uh, we've got my daily business comment, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. My thing on that is very straightforward. You're either going to be part of a, that group that says, I demand that our debates at least become informed. I personally don't care what people's opinion are, uh, are, but I do care that it's based on facts, based on research, and uh, gets more than that. So all of that is uh, very important. This brings me, by the way, to my quote of the week. I, I just, well, there's a couple that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, I love Thomas Pynchon's quote, and it relates to the federal leaders debate. If they can get you asking the wrong questions, they don't have to worry about the answers. If they can get you asking the wrong questions, they don't have to worry about the answers. And I believe there is so much of that. That's how they maintain their pretenses in the political world. You've got to ask the right questions. That'll put them on the hot seat. Take a break. Come back. Greg Weldon right here. Also, Neil McIver, Mike's Big Fat Idea, and a Goofy Award. You can find Greg on Weldon, W-E-L-D-O-N, WeldonOnline.com. He's the analyst that other analysts uh, subscribe to to find out what's going on. What is the meaning behind the numbers? Greg joins me online right now. Greg, let's just get right into it. Federal Reserve, of course, all eyes were on that. What was it, for three months? We kept talking about the September date. It comes and goes. Nothing happens. What do you make of it? Well, you know, Michael, it's interesting uh, because if you go back 12 months, 18 months, We've really been waiting quite a long time because the Federal Reserve's own projections, and even that in the futures market, has anticipated that they would have uh, raised interest rates at least once, if not several times, by today, let alone, I mean, before this September meeting. So to me, this is kind of par for the course. And if you, you ask me, uh, frankly, to me, this has been verbal tightening and verbal intervention all along, you know, the forward slope in the futures markets. In other words, in the end of next year, the end of 2017, what is the futures market pricing for the Federal Reserve uh, fund rate? And, you know, that has been anticipating uh, hikes for, for many months. And now in the last, say, six months or so, they have started to deprice some of the rate hikes that had been priced. And now what happened on the, uh, this past week with the Federal Reserve's Open Market Committee meeting was that the Fed is now coming a little bit more back in line with the market 
which had been, you know, taking away some of the expected rate hikes out through 2018, in fact. And if you look at some of the stats, I'll throw a couple of, um, of statistics at you real quick. Uh, the What they call the dot plot, which is the plot that shows you which Federal Reserve members think the Fed funds will be where in the future, and there was a lot of talk about this uh, through the week. Uh, whereas before the meeting, just this week, uh, nine members expected the funds rate to be a, a 275 or higher by the end of 2017. That is only seven members now. And whereas two members, only two, had believed by the end of 2017 that the Fed funds rate would be below two and a quarter, that's more than doubled from two members to five members. So more than not hiking rates here, I think it is far more important and far more telling to note what their their own forecasts uh, have been shaved back considerably and by several members, too, who now, even out as far as 2018, are not expecting that the Fed will be raising rates as much as they have been expecting three months ago, six months ago, and nine months ago, because this all goes all the way back to the December of 2014 Fed meeting, and they have been whittling back their expectations every quarter since then, and this whittling back was significant. And I think that that is uh, really worthy of talking about. You see the bond market react, the short end reacted pretty violently. And when I look at the, uh, the stock market, I think that it's all well and good to scale back expectations for tightening. But that's not an easing, Michael. It's not QE. And we know that the stock market has been pegged to the Fed's balance sheet since 2009. The Fed's balance sheet is sideways to down. And since then, the stock market is sideways to down. Well, you're, you're right into the question I wanted to ask because, you know, I don't want you, I, we can't get out of here with you without talking about stocks. And you've just alluded to the fact uh, when you look at that strong, strong correlation, what does it tell you, you know, I mean, the sort of scenario going forward? Well, it tells me until you begin to believe that the Fed's not going to hike rates at all, uh, things are not going to change for the stock market and things are not going to change for emerging markets. And those are the two keys. The dollar might soften a little because you have the major currencies now getting a little benefit from the fact that the forward, the expected interest rate differentials are narrowing a little bit. But like I said, dot plot easing is not monetary easing. And until Mm -hmm. you get the thought process that the Fed is in fact not going to hike rates, or until you start to hear some talk about what about the Fed? We got the ECB and the BOJ and the PBOC all easing policy. When is there a thought process around the Fed potentially with QE4 or so on and so forth. Well, I think to get to that point, you're going to have to have further pain. It's going to come about because the Fed is still going to talk about raising rates, and that is going to do nothing for the stock market. It doesn't expand the Fed's balance sheet, and that will continue to weigh on emerging market currencies. And you know and I know, Michael, you have a major crisis going on in emerging market currencies. It's all, uh, you know, it's all nice to see the dollar soften a little bit against the, uh, the euro and the yen and, and the sterling at, towards the end of the week. But the Brazilian Real made a new 13-year low and is close to a new record low as of Friday's close. So that is case in point to what we're talking about. i got to take a break. I'll come back with Greg, and I'm going to get a, just a quick take uh, more on the emerging markets. But i got to go gold and silver very quickly with him. Uh, the emerging market story, as Greg has uh, been t- uh, alluding to, part of our team that has been really warning about the mess that's there, 23 different Uh, Stock markets that I've counted have been in crash mode well before China uh, had its problems. It just got the headlines. Bigger problems there. More with Greg Weldon at www.weldenonline.com. You're listening to the Chorus Radio Network. 
You're listening to Money Talks. Mike's big fat idea is coming up. I've got Neil McIver with me, McIver Wealth Management. Looking forward to it. Also, Goofy Award. But right now, Greg Weldon, we're getting the bottom line on what's been going on in the markets. That Fed uh, opinion to do nothing has really grabbed people. So much to get to with Greg. I promise I'll get him on again in the near future. Greg, let me just fire out a couple of quick ones at you. Uh, Gold, for example. Gold, well, I mean, I like gold and silver right here. I think you want some technical confirmation. I think until you continue to whittle back expectations around the Federal Reserve, uh, that it's going to be difficult to see a breakout here. But I also think there's a wild card out, part out there, Michael, that I don't hear a lot of people talking about. Because the Fed wants to raise interest rates. But they can't raise interest rates here because of the international scene. The international scene is what it is because the dollar has rallied, predicated upon the Fed raising interest rates. So it's a little bit of a vicious circle we have going on here. And if they actually want to move or if they get a more evidence that suggests from a macroeconomic perspective domestically that they should move, you could get a comment about the dollar here somewhere. Uh, I'm not talking Louvre Accord or Plaza Accord, but I'm talking about some kind of you know very light verbal intervention where when they potentially do hike rates that the dollar doesn't get too wide here and really put the you know put the pedal to the metal in emerging markets. If and when that happens, that would be a boon to the precious metals. You had an outside upside reversal week, technical term, bottoming type pattern in silver. You had strength in the mining shares relative to bullion. These are very positive things for the entire sector. So I'm looking for silver. It can get above the most recent high at 1571 basis, the near-term futures contract. Uh, that would be a bottom to me, an unconfirmed new low just recently, uh, and that would be a technical signal uh, to suggest that it's time to get back into the precious metals. Uh, we've only got a couple minutes left. I want to come back to the emerging markets. Uh, I've been saying for ages, big story is the U.S. denominated debt. They're watching their com- uh, their currencies crash. The commodities are crashing. Their economies are going with it. You mentioned the Bra- uh, Brazilian real. Uh, you know, the, the story is uh, Venezuela. What a basket case. The list goes on and on. Uh, you know, as you were noting, new lows in a lot of those regional stock indexes. I mean, this just bundles all up into bad news. You know, Michael, there's so much going on right now. And the first thing I will note, too, is this refugee issue in the EU. You have, you know, the stock markets in the quarter there, you know, Bosnia, Croatia, uh, Slovenia. These markets are at new lows, like at, you know, if not multi-year lows, new bear move lows. That's number one. Number two, the pressure in emerging market currencies is linked to trade. And you have no growth in exports. You have commodity indexes have just gotten slaughtered. This has been a real difficult time for commodity exporters, many of which are emerging markets, and it's broad-based. It's Asia. It's Eastern Europe. It's Africa. Look at some of the African currencies, like uh, in Nambia. I mean, they're, they're coming unglued. The Kazakhstan currency, big commodity natural resource country, just got annihilated in the last two weeks. So this is something that is way more serious than I think the popular media is uh, giving, you know, giving credence to, giving attention to. And it is on various levels that I don't think go away anytime soon. So to me, this is going to continue to be an issue. And I think at some point, you know, it really gets back to the U.S. stock market and to the Fed and to QE, and it's not going to be an easy transition for the Fed, theoretically, going forward, to move from, hey, we're going to tighten several times over the next couple of years, to, hey, we're not going to tighten at all, to, hey, we might have to print more money. So this is going to be some really interesting times going forward. You know that we, along with, with your people, have been all over this since the beginning of last year. When we put out the piece through CKNW, through Money Talks, 
on peso wars. We called all of these moves. These moves are not a surprise to us. What's a surprise is how long they've been going on and how really vicious and violent they've gotten without much mentioned in the press and with virtually no comments from you know the major industrialized central banks. I think that's going to change. I see this as, uh, and I've been saying this also, Greg, uh, Alla, what you've been writing in the Weldon Report, uh, Weldon Money Monitor, which people can get at www.weldenonline.com. You will see very quickly, you can hear it right here, but why other analysts subscribe to Greg Weldon uh, gets right behind the numbers, a global perspective, which, of course, is absolutely necessary in today's marketplaces. But the emerging markets, there's going to be much more to come on those. We have been chronicling them here. Uh, Greg Weldon has been doing it in his newsletter, making a lot of money doing it because of the violence of the moves. Uh, we'll get Greg on again in the very near future to discuss just that aspect, because I'm promising it's breaking. I, I'm, my bet is it may be breaking next month. Greg, thank you so much for finding time this weekend. Uh, it's my pleasure, Michael. You guys do a great job for your listeners, and I apologize to everyone for having been a little uh, a little late this morning. We had some issues. So. Well, great great to have you. Absolutely yeah. great to have you. Uh, as I say, I'll get Greg on uh, again in the very near future. But in the meantime, go to Weldon Online, W-E-L-D-O-N, online.com. I'll take a break. I'll come back. Hey, Mike's big fat idea. Thanks to Neil McIver is going to help me out with this. Every week we feature kind of a, a kind of an investment idea that maybe you could put on your radar screen. Plus, I've got a goofy award. I'm broadcasting live from the Fair Mont Tremblant in uh, Mont Tremblant, Quebec. Thanks to the people at the, uh, the Fairmont Hotel. Absolutely fabulous service here. Thanks to their manager, Matthew Blackmore. Uh, also, Carolyn Paquette, Kevin Savary. Wouldn't do it without them. Great stuff. Great customer service story. I'll do more with the Goofy Award and Neil McIver when we come back. Up a Goofy Award, but it's time now for Mike's Big Fat Idea. I want to give you some investment ideas from some of the top professionals around North America. Neil McIver is with me, McIver Capital Management at Richardson's GMP. Neil, appreciate you finding time for us on the weekend. So I want to get right to it. Let's start with who should be interested in what you're about to tell us. Like what type of investor? Are we talking about an aggressive person, someone looking for yield, someone looking for putting it under the mattress? Yeah. Well, thanks, Michael. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, I always say that investing is just like football. It's a game of inches. And you don't, you know, you don't win by uh, throwing Hail Marys on a regular basis. You win by sort of methodically moving the ball down the field. Where and, were you when I was losing all that money as a kid? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I <laughs> learned that lesson the hard way, Neil, I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I did as well, too. I think we, we all do. So this, this idea that, uh, that, uh, that I'll talk about a little bit, is is really for somebody who's looking to win by moving the ball methodically down the field okay. as opposed to, to throw the Hail Mary. So, uh, and it's based really directly on the non-move by the U.S. Federal Reserve on Thursday, which Great. in my opinion was certainly a curious decision considering that the market had largely baked in the Federal Reserve interest rate uh, move uh, going higher. So, um, so what do you exactly got for us? Some, well, you know, the expected rates, uh, the rate move in the U.S., uh, really, you know, people assumed that that was going to be taking place in Canada as well, too, eventually. Now, earlier in the year, many market participants in the, in the markets, ourselves included, sold down or reduced interest-sensitive positions such as Canadian banks. And, uh, and the concern was legitimate because of the huge amount of household debt, record amount, actually, of household debt. I know you've talked about that quite a bit with uh, credit cards lines of credit and mortgage, et cetera. And with higher interest rates, that, of course, stresses the consumer and, and, all, the, and all borrowers, really. 
and which puts the bank uh, profits uh, at significant risk. But this only happens when rates begin to rise in Canada. So where, so where are we today? Well, the U.S. Federal Reserve did not raise rates, as we know, and the next opportunity, as you discussed, is probably not until December, uh, and maybe not even until next year. And uh, with Canada in a technical recession caused specifically by the cratering of oil prices here in this country, um, we're probably not going to see rates rising in this country anytime soon. In fact, it could be well until 2017 until we see anything significant that way. So in the interim, all, all the interest rate uh, uh, sensitive uh, stocks, including banks or banks mainly, have sold off from the spring highs quite significantly. The Bank of Montreal, for example, is down 18% from its springtime high. It's trading at 11 times earning, Michael, and, uh, and just 10 times next year's earnings, and it's, it's delivering a dividend of 4.7%. Uh, CIBC is trading at 10 times this year's earnings and generating a dividend also of 4.7%. And for less exposure into the future uh, to the interest rate uh, risk, we might want to consider something like a life company, Great West Life, down 13% from its springtime high and trading at 11 times earnings and generating a dividend of about 4%. And for the very, very conservative, um, you could take a look at uh, a stock, uh, or it's an ETF, XFN. It's the iShares capped ETF of all the financials in Canada. It's well off its high. It's trading at just eight times earnings and it has a dividend of 3.4%. Great stuff. That's exactly what we're looking for. As I say, there's a scenario painted by Neil McIver. He's talking about some uh, quality uh, yield plays, which, of course, is uh, our favorites here on Money Talks. Neil, thank you for finding time for us. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Michael. Neil McIver is McIver Capital Management at Richardson GMP. Mike's big fat idea, revisit those banks with your investment professional. 4.7%, that's a heck of a yield, plus you get the dividend tax credit. Revisit with your investment portfolio, see if that's appropriate for you, but there's a great big fat idea. By the way, thanks to Neil, thanks to Greg Weldon, thanks to Ozzy Jurek, thanks to Michael Levy. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based, no-fees tech-related investment. It's a context of tech. For more information, go to solaraclub.com. Time now for this week's Goofy Award goes to the Labour Party of Great Britain. My goodness, a very public attempt at political suicide with the election of Jeremy uh, Corbyn. This guy was 100 to 1 odds, but he still won. He's known for his very radical left-wing views, things like he supports Hezbollah, Hamas, expressed solidarity with the socialist uh, president of Venezuela, uh, same with Bolivia. It's unbelievable everywhere you look. Uh, as, and then this week, by the way, his first official function as the head of the Labour Party, he refuses to sing the national anthem, God Save the Queen, because he's a Republican and doesn't support the monarchy. Wow. As I say, it wasn't me who said this was political suicide to elect this guy. No less than Prime Minister Tony Blair. I mean, come on. Uh, Hezbollah, Hamas. I mean, old-fashioned, absolutely far-left views about how the economy works, how currencies work. But this is what Tony Blair said in The Guardian. If Jeremy Corbyn becomes leader... It won't be a defeat for labor like 1983 or 2015 at the next election. It will mean a rout, possibly annihilation. 
Well, you're already seeing tons of talk about Labour MPs crossing the floor to the Liberal Democrats, and that begs the biggest question of the week. Who's happier about the election of Mr. Corbyn, the Tories or the Liberal Democrats? Because I'm telling you, this is going to be an interesting one. Recent poll, 20% of uh, Labour supporters looking to vacate their support with the election of Mr. Corbyn. Anyways, I thought that was uh, incredible when I saw that it happened. Hey, that's all the time we have today. A reminder, go to moneytalks.net. You can get the daily business comment there. Uh, and My point is to change and try and help you with the level of discussion. And uh, you've got to do your part. Pass it on. Get people to listen to Money Talks, especially your children. You won't be sorry. My thanks to the Fairmont Tremblant, Carolyn Paquette, Kevin Savonry, the Fairmont manager, Matthew Blackmore. Great staff here. Made it all possible, the Fairmont Tremblant. Have a good weekend.